Now my master has given to me through the eyes. This is the Bhajan Abmohe Nainan Seal Guru Dia on page 224. I wandered door to door, door after door. No one cares for me. I neither understand myself as living or dead. My master has made me alive. I am the ignorant one. I do not know anything. I do not recognize the glory of the master. He has converted me from dirt into gold. I do not see anything with my eyes. The night is dark and there is no way. My master has illuminated me. Satguru has come to my home. He has awakened my sleeping fortune. The jab has been taken up by Kripal Satguru. Now my master has given to me through the eyes. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 224. <laughs> Oh, hey, my. 
is given to me through the eyes. Our next bhajan is on page 85. Aja, 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 mere kirpalaji. Come, 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 my beloved kirpalaji, the support of the suffering ones. Who else is there who can reshape my distorted fate? Come, see what the condition of your disciples has become. Today all the dear brothers have become torn apart. Who else is there who can reshape my distorted fate? Today, O giver, without you it has become dark. O beloved of Sawan, come give us the darshan. Who else is there who can reshape my distorted fate? The storm of sin is raging. Come and save us. O oh, beloved Satguru, except you there is no other support. Who else is there who can reshape my distorted fate? In this burning world, the fire is raging. O oh, giver, shower grace and bring the fountains of nectar. Who else is there? who can reshape my distorted fate. You are the protector of the Sangat. 
And Ajab says one thing. I have left all other refuge and rely only on your support. Who else is there who can reshape my distorted fate? Come, 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 my beloved Kripalji, the support of the suffering ones. Who else is there who can reshape my distorted fate? Bhajan of Sanchi on page 85. Aja, 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 mere kirpal ji, dukhiya dehe sahare, hai kaun jo begari meri takadir savare, aja,
beloved Kripalji, the support of the suffering ones. Who else is there who can reshape my distorted fate? The next World Religions class will be March 7th. And I want to pay tribute to a very remarkable, indeed quite extraordinary lady who uh, I won't even call her a sister, I'll call her a mother, who left the body just uh, the last couple of days. Virginia Agnello, many of us know her, maybe all of us know her. Uh, she held satsang in California for many years before moving to the ashram area in Idaho. I was proud to call Virginia and her lovely daughter Francesca a friend, both of them, and Francesca's family. And as with all of the other dear ones who have gone in the last few years, of whom there have been many, she has left an enormous hole in the fabric of the world that we know. And while Virginia and the others are sitting in Master's lap, it is very hard on people left behind for whom they were a large part of their world, as I know very well from my own experience. I'm going to read, this is a account of her last days written by Kathy White, who was with her, and it's very beautiful and very powerful, I think, and I'm going to read it now. Kathy says, Virginia's grace and self-surrender was beautiful to see, as we stayed with her round the clock for her last eight days. During this time, she told me that in all her years of meditation and being on the path, that she never had any in her experience, even though she meditated two to four hours a day. As she was getting close to leaving the body, her breathing became quite difficult and very labored, even with hospice medicines. But when you looked at her face instead of her body, she was so peaceful and serene. Her face wasn't registering any of the struggling that was going on below in her body. She looked 20 to 25 years old, and she had such a beautiful incandescent glowing light coming from her face and her forehead. It was so obvious that Master was holding her at the eye center while her body was finishing up its allotted breaths. Within 15 minutes of her last breath, where she had been in a coma and not responsive previously, she opened her eyes and looked around the room at everyone, and John saw Master Kripal's eyes in her eyes as a last goodbye. Also within the last few hours, an incredibly huge and beautiful Adult bull moose was seen two different times, first just outside the window at the head of her bed looking in, and then 
He moved to the side window and angled his body so he again was facing her bed. She loved animals and had more than a couple of stuffed mooses and or art pictures in her house. The day before she left the body, she asked for assistance to make some phone calls. She reached her family and some close friends to say that she was going to be leaving and how much she loved them in that she was ready to go. She just turned 90 in October and that she was at peace. I asked her at one point if she had any regrets. She thought a minute and said no, that she had lived a full life and was so thankful that Master had caught her. Cheska, her daughter, asked her to do one more last satsang, so she chose to read the translation of Sanchi's last bhajan on page 273 of the book, Stupid Death, I Have to Go, Really I Have to Go. At one point, she gave an impromptu satsang and told us that it was very important to meditate every day, if possible at the same time, even if it's only 20 minutes, because Master says after two weeks that would become a habit. The day before she left the body, she was in her hospital bed, propped up with three pillows, putting on her face eyeshadow, rouge, mascara, powder, and lipstick. Everyone remembers Virginia that uh, she always looked absolutely beautiful. She wanted to be presentable to the ambulance drivers who were taking her home to be with hospice. She was always immaculately groomed, even after a 10-day trip to India and getting ready for her deathbed. She was a wonderful role model with such unconditional love. She made everyone feel as if they were her very best friend. She will be missed. And indeed she will. My own memories of Virginia are very, they go back a long way and include many things, including I was in India with her at least once. And we talked many times during that trip. And I respected and admired her very much and appreciated her point of view and her long search for truth, her time with Kapal, her coming to Sanchi, and also her daughter, Francesca, was and is very dear to me. I do want to... I'm going to read uh, Kathy's point about her face being perfectly calm and beautiful while her body suffered reminded me of an experience I had with Sanchi, which I'm going to read. But I do want to mention, Virginia is not the only dear one who has left the body recently. And whenever someone goes who is specially dear, I am forced to remember all the others who have gone, going back, in my case, at least 11 years to my beloved wife, Judith, whom I still miss and whose memory I revere, and Nina Jatana, who died just before her, or just, excuse me, I'm mixed up, after her, a couple of years after her, and uh, Laurie Van Valkenburg, who died a month before Judith did, and Mildred Mee, who died a few years before that, and, uh, oh, there are so many. Huh? Margo, yeah. 
And I always think of our beloved Jeremiah, who went so young. And I want to mention especially, though, a sister who has gone, who left since I was here last, and who is very dear to me and whom I was in touch with. I called her, talked to her on the phone every two or three days during her final illness. That is Anne Gordon, a widow of Ron, who came up here to Satsang a number of times a couple of years ago when she was out in this area with her daughter preparing to go to China for, um, she had a two-year stint in China teaching English. And Anne was the widow of Ron and a very remarkable, extraordinary, lovely person who has also left an enormous hole in the fabric of the universe that we know. All of these people are infinitely better off. You know, when we grieve, there's no, there's no doubt that we grieve for ourselves. Master is with them and is indeed taking care of them and is very happy to see them and has in fact called them back. But it isn't like that for us. And it's important that we understand that it's okay. You know, we, we can grieve. We can feel that pain. We can feel the rending of the fabric. It's very, very real thing. And it's important not to uh, pretend that we don't or it'll bounce back on us. So I am extremely grateful to all these people, including Virginia and Anne and all the others, for what they have done for me. Okay, And all of us should be grateful for whatever they have done for us. Master has used all of them. It's no wonder that John saw Kripal's eyes in Virginia's eyes. You know, Master worked through her a lot. And uh, he works through all of us, and he is present in all of us. Whenever one of us leaves, then that's another instrument of his that has gone. And it's a big thing. It's a huge thing from the point of view of the world. So I do want to read, beginning, begin to read an account of the first month or so that Sanji ever spent in uh, the West in May 1977, during which a part of that time, not the whole time, but uh, for a significant section of it, he was really very sick. And this was tremendously testing and difficult time for me. I don't know about anyone else. And I I uh, really failed very badly during this time. But I learned a great deal. And this is my own account, which I wrote back in 1977. While it was going on, I wrote, I kept a complete record of that tour and also the 1980 tour. I wrote basically every day I uh, kept a journal and wrote every day, and it was published as I wrote it. So, this is the account of his May residence. And I know, I have read this before in Satsang, and some of you may be very familiar with it. But it's there's a very important point here, actually a number of very important points. It was crucial for me, although I can't say that I actually lived up to it after this. But one point is the the way in which a master takes on karma and how it works. He really, really suffers. That's really happening. 
and at the same time, simultaneously, he's really, really above it. And uh, it's one of those paradoxes that you can't understand on the level of duality. Also, how sometimes logical thinking does not make it when it comes to obeying the Master or understanding the Master. Uh, Santa Jeb Singh Ji Maharaj left India on his first world tour in the early hours of the morning on April 27, 1977, and arrived at Boston Airport that evening. He was accompanied from India by Rajkumar Bhaga, Papu, his translator attendant, Gurudev Singh, Patiji, who chanted the hymns by past masters used as the subject matter of the satsangs and also served as Sanchi's cook, and Kent Bignell of Santbani Ashram, who had been sent to India for the express purpose of accompanying them on the flight. And a personal account with pictures of the first few days of the tour, which I think I read a few months ago. Not sure, maybe I read it in New Hampshire or Yellow Point or someplace. I don't know, I get all mixed up including his arrival at the airport and first satsang at the ashram, appeared in the May 1977 issue of St. Bani. He remained in residence at St. Bani Ashram from April 27th until May 31st. Two initiations were held during that time, with a total of 65 persons initiated into Surat Shabad Yoga, Many memorable satsangs took place, both in the morning after meditation and in the evening. Some of them have already been published and more will follow. In the last week of his stay especially, he held satsang on almost every practical aspect of the path, and God willing, they will all be published in due course of time. And they were, of course, and most of them, many of them are in the book Streams in the Desert. One session that will not, unfortunately, be published is the address to the Oriental Philosophy class of Plymouth State College. This really excellent short talk on the basic principles of spirituality was followed by a series of questions and answers in which the practical God-intoxicated mystic from the Rajasthan desert came face to face with the currently fashionable intellectual understanding of these ideas. It was very sweet and very interesting. Sadly, the only tape recorder available refused to work, so it will live on only in the minds of those who were present. About two and a half weeks after his arrival, he became seriously ill with a recurrence of the malaria he had first picked up in Delhi last summer. Its first appearance was on Sunday, shortly before satsang was to be held. I arrived at his house to discover him in the throes of a high fever. I was frightened and suggested that he might wish to rest and not hold satsang that day. He insisted on holding satsang, but agreed to make it short. He then proceeded to hold satsang with great power for one and three-quarter hours, a quarter of an hour longer than usual. Watching him on the dais, it was impossible to believe that he was, or ever could be, sick. Then he left the dais, walked into his house, and collapsed. 
With a day's rest, he seemed to quickly improve, and none of us realized at this point that it was malaria. By Tuesday morning, he conducted group meditation. Both the meditation and darshan after it were one of the most beautiful ever, and I thank God we had it back after one day's absence. Little did I realize that it was to be the last one until the end of the stay in California. By 10 o'clock, he was running a fever of 106 degrees, frighteningly close to the maximum that a human body can endure without permanent damage or death, and was very, very sick. I was given the opportunity of catching a glimpse of him in this condition. He was tossing back and forth on the bed in great violent surges, and it was more than I could bear. I ran back to my house and gave way to complete despair. I felt that we had dragged him over here against his will, that somehow we had given him his illness. It was still not diagnosed as a recurrence of malaria already in his system, that our failures and weaknesses and hideous shortcomings had brought it on, and a thought so horrible it was almost unthinkable that he would now be forced to cancel the tour and go back to India. It also seemed very clear to me that he was sorry he had come. After 45 minutes of this kind of thinking, accompanied by bitter tears, I felt compelled to go down to his house again. He immediately called me into his bedroom. He was still tossing on the bed in great agony, still frighteningly sick. But as I stood watching him, he proceeded to answer every single one of the terrible doubts and questions that had tormented me up at my house. He told me that he was glad he had come, that the tour would proceed on schedule, that we had done nothing to cause his illness, and that I should not worry or despair about anything. You understand that I had not voiced outwardly any of these things. He concluded by saying that I should not confuse him with his body. My body is suffering. I am not suffering. Then he said, you see, I am smiling. And in truth, he was. The most radiant, peaceful smile came over his face, making the distinction between himself and his body, which was still tossing back and forth and obviously racked with pain, crystal clear. I left with a realization that he had spent 15 minutes at the height of his illness comforting me and removing all my despair. It so happens that Dr. Richard Cardozo, president of the medical staff of the Mary Hitchcock Hospital, Hanover, New Hampshire, and a distinguished heart surgeon, is a devoted satsangi. He had already had Santi's darshan several times, and when he came to know about his illness, he came right over. He noted the possibility of malaria, but doubted it. He said that if it recurred in two days' time, the chances of malaria were much higher, and testing should be done at that time. Two days later, on Thursday morning, in the interim, there was some relief, but after two bouts of the high fever, Sanchi's body was by now very weak. Right on schedule, the fever came back. It was two hours or more before I could get through to Dr. Cardozo, and when I did, he told me that by the time I could get the master there, it would be too late for testing. The tests had to be done as close to the onset of the fever as possible, 
so that we should plan to bring him on Saturday morning. I went down to the house to communicate this to the master and ran headlong into a stone wall. He refused to see me, and through Papu he communicated very clearly that he wanted to go to the hospital now. I was bewildered and upset. I couldn't understand it at all. The doctor had explained to me that it wouldn't do any good to go now. The test would not be conclusive. Why couldn't I convey this? But I couldn't. He literally would not let me into his room. And all my pleas and reasonable suggestions had to be given to Papu, who was more inclined to listen to the master than to me. In my confusion and unhappiness, I forgot all I had ever learned about the omniscience of the master and about the continuousness of the growth process. It never occurred to me once to recognize that there was another level on which I might not know anything. All I saw was that the master was being unreasonable, and I couldn't understand it. Resentfully, I went back to the telephone, called Dr. Cardozo, and with some embarrassment told him that the master insisted on coming to the hospital now. Could that be arranged? He said that it could, that both the malaria specialist and the head of the laboratory, worldwide leaders in their fields, as this hospital is associated with Dartmouth Medical School and is exceptionally fine, were very interested in meeting Sanchi and both would be happy to stay after hours and take care of him personally. I still didn't understand, but I drove him to the hospital about 50 miles away and the tests were taken. Both specialists were indeed waiting to see him, and they treated him very respectfully and with great consideration. Because it was after hours, as opposed to the following Saturday morning when I had wanted him to go, we had the hospital to ourselves, and the whole visit took place in relative privacy. Moreover, within 20 minutes of the tests, the results were back. He did indeed have malaria. Even though the tests were late, they still worked, perhaps partly because the men taking them were the best in the business. And the malaria specialist prescribed exactly the right medication, which cleared the intense illness and fever up right away. He warned that it might have a side effect of making the master weak, especially in the mornings. It did have this effect, and his body remained weak in the mornings for several weeks but his suffering was over. On the way back to the ashram in the car, I understood what a tremendous advantage it was, both for the master and for the sangat, who had also been suffering all week in the pain of separation, to have the thing cleared up here and now instead of waiting another two days. I understood that the master had known very well from the beginning that the tests would work on that day. I understood that he was concerned about wasting the precious time of the disciples. I understood further that I had been very wrong and had forgotten everything I had ever known about anything. I told him all this, and he simply replied, That was not right, Russell G., to wait two more days. So two days later, on the day that, if I had had my way, he would, after another period of sickness, have been tested at the hospital, he took his first walk around the ashram since the illness began and gave darshan to the satsangis to their great joy. 
That night, Saturday night, he came and sat on the dais for half an hour while the Sangat sang bhajans, the first time on the dais since the illness began. The following day, Sunday, he held satsang again with great power for the full time. And on Monday morning, he gave initiation to 34 persons, the second initiation of the stay. From then on, the full schedule was resumed with the exception of the mornings due to the bodily weakness caused by the side effect of the medicine. But the final week of satsangs was specially relevant and it was very difficult for the New Hampshire satsangis and all those who had been staying at the ashram to say goodbye to him when the time came to leave. So difficult that many did not say goodbye and accompanied him to the next stop. So in the morning of May 31st, 1977, Sanchi gave a beautiful farewell darshan, passed out Prashad, and was driven to Kripal Ashram in Vermont, stopping at the home of Dr. Cardozo in Hanover on the way as a special mark of appreciation for his faithful and selfless service during the master's illness. And I have to tell you that during that period when Sanchi would not let me into his room and would not listen to what I considered to be reason and would not accept my arguments, I really lost it. I mean, I went up to my house and I could not understand what was going on. Why can't I convey to him what the doctor said. And I was just wild. I broke furniture. I was, I, I have a terrible temper when, at times, and, I, and it came out. And, you know, that was part of how wrong I realized I had been. And I was really very, very wrong. However, the fact is that, you know, we can be very wrong and the Master will still love us. And I want to read at least part of, I don't know how much time we'll have, but I'd like to read at least part of a discourse of Sanchi, which is on that subject, called Masters Come for Sinners. And this is a very important point to remember. There are a lot of stories in the, in the you know, the scriptures and the, the lore, the Santmat literature, the stories the Masters tell, about exactly this, and Sanchi tells some of them in, in this discourse. But masters come for sinners. Of course, on one level, we are all sinners, because we all fall short of what we could be as human beings. But the point is that mistakes and bad things that we do often pave the way, sometimes the only way, that lead us to a fuller understanding of things. And masters know that. And this is why Jesus said, you know, I, a physician doesn't come for those who are healthy, but for those who are sick. And I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This is something that all masters have said one way or another. So this is a discourse on a bhajan of Sajobai, who was a famous woman saint in India that Sanchi had a special love for. And he, at one time, held a series of satsangs on all of Sajubai's writings, although they have not been translated into English. Only a few of them have, or I think only one of them, actually. Now, O God, pull me toward you. 
And Sanchi says, this is the Bani of Sajubai. The reason for taking the writings of different Mahatmas and saints is to show that all saints and masters who came in the past gave out one message. Mahatmas make us understand that the God for whom we are searching and who has given life to all of us is one. The God for the American people and the God for the Indian and all other people is the same. Mahatmas say there is only one practice by which we can achieve that God, and that way, that path, is within all human bodies. Up to this time, he has never been achieved from outside the human body, nor will he ever be achieved except in the human body. Guru Nanak says that those who are trying to realize him outside of their human body are making useless efforts and are wasting their time. There is no question of man or woman. It is not true that only men can realize God and women cannot. Both man and woman can do the devotion of God. There is no question of caste either. People of all castes can do the devotion of God. Many women have become Mahatmas, Sajobai, Dayabai, Mirabai, and among the Muslims, Mahatma Gargi and Rabia Basri. All these people were perfect Mahatmas. That's why Sajobai's Bani is presented to you. Sajobai's master was Charandas. She was born in a Rajputana family and she was a perfect meditator. She initiated many people and made them cross the ocean of life. Mahatmas come in this world carrying much humility with them, and they have only humility. Master used to say, God has everything except humility. He is the all-owner. To whom should he show his humility? So now with very much humility, she is begging God, Oh God, pull me toward you and shower grace on me. Only because of your pull can I create the yearning to meet you, and only with your grace, love, and help will I be able to do the devotion. Do not count my bad deeds. Forgive me so that you will maintain your reputation of forgiving. This is a motif, of course, that occurs in many different writings of many different masters. You know, you are the forgiver, so please forgive. Sanchi has written bhajans like that too. If the guru only looked at our bad deeds and bad qualities, he could not forgive us, and for the rest of our lives we would be able neither to come to the satsang nor to get nam from him. Kabir Sahib says, the saints come into this world as washermen, the washerman accepts everyone's clothes. He doesn't care if the clothes are from the oil merchant or the baker or the gentleman. But the thing is that the clothes of the baker or the oil merchant will need more attention, more work, while the gentleman's clothes will be easily washed. But because he is proud of his honest skill and he knows that he can clean everyone's clothes, he accepts everyone's clothes. Similarly, saints know about Nam and rely on Nam. They know within whom they will keep that Nam and who will one day go back to Satchkant.
Kabir Sahib says, when Nam dwells in the heart, all sins go away, just as a little bit of fire finishes the heap of hay. Guru Nanak says, we, the worldly people, committed many sins, but when we got the Nam, it worked like fire and burned our sins just as wood is burned by fire. Kabir Saab says, even a leper who is meditating on Nam is better than a person whose body is made of gold. Sajobai says, ask God, O oh God, shower grace on me and don't look at my bad qualities, because now you are concerned about me and you are taking care of me. Age after age, your glory is such as it is sung in the Vedas and Puranas. Now, Sajubai says, I am not requesting of you any new thing. The Vedas and Puranas all bear this witness, that God is always liberating the sinners. That's why I am requesting you to liberate me also. Master used to say, the masters always come for the sinners. There was one Udham Singh, who was a very famous robber of Maza. And he used to torment the disciples of Master Salan Singh who were coming to see him, and sometimes he drowned them in the river. But when he learned the importance of the saints, he came to Master Salan Singh and got initiated by him. After that, he used to put a piece of cloth in his mouth and praise Master Salan Singh constantly in front of the Sangat. When Master Salan Singh used to say to him, Stop doing that. He would say, let me remove all my sins, because with this mouth I have criticized you a lot. Now let me remove those sins by praising you. Similarly, there was a famous dacoit in Rajasthan who had committed many murders. When he came to Master, Master asked him, what is your profession? He replied, all my life I have been a hunter of men. Master asked him, now what is your idea? He replied, that's all over. Now I have come to repent and take refuge at your feet. Master gave him initiation and he became a very good man. In the same way, there is the story of Ajamal. Ajamal was the son of a pundit, but he was caught up in adultery and was defamed in his community or caste. As you know, in India, if anyone in a caste is doing bad deeds, he is thrown out of the caste, and the other people in the caste don't have any relation with him and hate him. So that Ajamal was thrown out of his caste, and he was thrown out of his village also. Outside of the village, he made a small hut and lived there. Once a perfect Mahatma came there, and he was surprised to find a hut outside the village. So he came to the hut and asked Ajamal, why is this? He told him, I am a sinner. This is the hut of Ajamal the sinner. I made this mistake in my youth and the people of the community have thrown me out. I am a very great sinner. As you know, saints have full power and have many sticks to rebuke the souls. They have their own ways of liberating souls. It is not necessary that they liberate souls only by giving them initiation. If they want, they can liberate souls only by looking at them once. They have many ways. 
because that perfect Mahatma knew that Ajamal's attention was scattered all over the world, he knew he could not be liberated by giving initiation. He had to use other means. So he told him, all right, whatever you have done in the past is done. Now forget about that. But you will have one son, and you should name him Narayan. And the word Narayan, of course, is a name of God. And your son Narayan will liberate you. Now when that Mahatma told him, you will have a son and name him Narayan, all the bad thoughts that Ajumal had, which were scattered in the world, were concentrated on the name Narayan. And he was always thinking of that soul and that son who was going to come to his home, and he was very grateful to the Mahatma. He always remembered that Narayan. When his end time came, he was still remembering that Narayan. When the angels of death came to take him and were giving him a very hard time, he cried, Narayan, oh Narayan, come and save me. So Guru Nanak wrote in his Bani of that occasion, he did the devotion of God, understanding him as his son. Repeating the name Narayan, Narayan came to save him. So he did the devotion of God, understanding him as his son, and still God came to liberate him. That's why Master Sawan Singh Ji used to say, if you cannot meditate and your mind is not steady, at least you should love the Master. And you can love the Master. The more you think of him, the more you can love him, and the more you will be inclined in his direction. The more you will remember, the more you will become his form. You know, to me, this is the essence of the path. Um, Sanchi's last book, at least the, the last one that we have to date, which is being worked on now uh, and will be published soon, called The Rescue. This is one of the central themes of that book also, that, you know, the, the ocean of love, the God, the, the supreme God, the real God, not the Lord of Judgment, or the, the Lord of Karma, but the God who is above all that, whose essence and whose nature is love, and the God referred to by Jesus and explained very clearly in the first epistle of John in the New Testament, that God will do whatever is necessary to save whoever can be reached, and he will not give up until that person is back with him because he loves him and he wants him back with him. And that God, furthermore, will not give up until everyone is ultimately back with him. It doesn't matter how many mistakes someone has made, how horrible they are, how worthless we all think they are, how much they deserve according to the laws of karma. They may have to pay off all that, but the fact is that God will not rest until they come back to him. In Buddhism, this is the ideal of the Bodhisattva, that the Bodhisattva takes the vow that he will forego his own permanent residence in nirvana until he ushers or helps to usher everyone else in before him. The masters are really Bodhisattvas, you know, they never stop, and uh, maybe in one body or maybe in another, 
They have earned the right to be in God's presence, and they are in God's presence in a way which we can't fully understand. But uh, their impulse, the thing that drives them, the thing that motivates them, and that is why they are here, is they want to make it easy for us, as easy as possible, for us to see where our true, what our true nature is, where our real interests lie, what our priorities should be, and how we can come back to that which we really, really want in the heart of our hearts, and which is no, um, there is no substitute for. And they will do this, and they do do it. And what the Master does, I mean, the, what the Master did with Ajumal is he simply took him by his own line of least resistance, and he allowed him to worship God as his son. As Sanchi says, a master doesn't have to give someone initiation. He can liberate them any way he wants. You know, giving Nam initiation in the traditional way is the, you might say, the, the line of least resistance for most people. And it's certainly the, the easiest way for master to deal with larger numbers of people who come to him. But he has his own ways of dealing with everybody, and they differ. Another time I, I was reading also and considered that I might read today an account by another brother who left, uh, this time further back, Steve Morrow of Texas, whom I knew well, was a very good friend, and who was responsible for beginning the prison project because he had been in, he was in prison when he heard about the master and uh, was initiated right after he came out steve was quite a guy and uh, he was initially was very resistant to sanchi although he was a kripal initiate but he describes in detail how sanchi brought him to him and it was entirely around who steve was you know Sanchi reached him in just the way that this particular master reached Ajamal, the sinner. And there are all kinds of stories. We all know the story of the three stuffed chapatis and the greedy man and how the master wanted so badly to liberate him, but the guy was so insistent on being greedy and dishonest that the master couldn't reach him. And although the master tried everything, the greedy man refused to, he denied that he had eaten the third stuffed chapati, and uh, he lied to the master, and he refused to accept his, admit his greed. So after many attempts, many attempts to save this guy, what Sanchi said, he was determined to liberate him. So he created three piles of gold and jewels, and he said, all right, one pile is for you, one pile is for me, and the third pile is for whoever ate that third stuffed chapati. And the guy said, all right, master, I will have to tell you the truth. I did eat it. And he got the pile. And because he had told the truth to the master and admitted what he had done, the master was able to take him up. So it's like the reason behind Jesus saying, judge not, lest you be judged lies in this. The masters do not judge. They love. They see very clearly what we are. I once said to Master Kripal, uh, in a time when I became acutely aware that he could look right through my soul to the inmost part of it and saw everything. 
And I said to him, you, you see my, you see exactly what I am. You see all my shortcomings, all everything I do, the way I think. You understand that perfectly. And you love me anyway. You love me anyway. And he just laughed. You know, it's like, of course he does, because he sees more than what we can see, and he knows that we are his children. And as the master, in the image that the masters use all the time about if, it, if your kid is dirty, you know, or is misbehaving, you clean him up, or you do something to correct him, and you hug him. You know, and that's what the master does with us. So it's like when we refuse to judge, when we follow the master's lead in this, it's like we are opting out of the duality of this world and the law of karma and the judgment. The whole world is set up on reward and punishment, good and bad, so-called, right and wrong, the standards for which differ all over the place and for each individual person. And religions are set up institutionalized religions are set up as power structures and we have to obey them or else. All that stuff we are buying into when we start judging other people and holding them accountable for the wrong that they do. And the Master doesn't do that. And the more that we follow his lead, the more we are opting for the ocean of love and away from the ocean of this world of duality, of karma, of reward and punishment. So it's, and it's, it's a very powerful thing. And I think the, the essence of the esoteric point of view here is precisely this, that the paradox of the una of the world is that the core of the universe, as Rabia said, another great woman saint in Islam this time, said, is love. And yet the world we live in is very hard to see that. And this, of course, is what the paradox is. Well, where is the love? Well, it is there. And it's there. It comes into this world from God, through the Master, and through Him, through all the people who are connected with Him. So it's like it is our responsibility as children of the Master, or as even if we are not initiated as people who are looking to Him for guidance and who are want to make his priorities our priorities. It is our concern to be as lovable as possible so that the love that he has for the world, for all of us, will flow through us and reach people all around us. And believe me, it still can work. The master may not be in the body. We may not know where a master is. doesn't mean there isn't one. just means we don't know necessarily where he is. But the, the love of the Master, the love of God for the world has not gone anywhere. And it is there. It's in us. It's in our hearts. It's the core of our lives is the love that the Master gave us. And it's very important that we understand this, recognize that this is what the Master came for. Sanchi said it one time. He comes down to love. That's, that's his function, you know. There was a, when I was a young guy, I used to go to a bar room, forgive me for saying this in satsang, but called the Golden Nugget in Boston. This was before, obviously, I was initiated. Not that I necessarily was perfect, 
after I was initiated either, but this was before. And I liked to go there. They had Shotgun Kelly and his, it was a rock and roll band. This was in the 50s, very early days of rock and roll. And it was owned by a fellow named Izzy Ort. And I liked it very much. And the rock band that was there used to, they would finish every set, but they would sing, That's Why We Are Here, Rockin' Is Our Business. I used to love that. It seemed very, somehow, very relevant to me. That's why we are here. Rockin' is our business. And later when I came to know about the master, I would think, that's why he is here. Loving is his business. You know, it's like you know your function, you know what you're there for, and you do it. If it's rock and roll, then that's okay. Then you rock. If it's loving everyone, then you love. And it's real. You know, it's what you do. And we can all say that. That's why we are here. Loving is our business. Very easy to forget. I forget it all the time. But that's what the Master teaches us. And it's in the Bible, along with a ton of other stuff. The Bible is written from many different levels. It contains a lot of material written from the most basic and elemental, dualistic reward and punishment level. But a lot of it is not. Uh, there is a lot in the Bible which reflects exactly what the Masters have been saying in this discourse and at other times too. And if we look for it, we will find it. And Master Kripal used to quote those sections at great length. Anyway, that is, it seems to me, of the utmost importance to bear all this in mind and to live accordingly. And, you know, if we do that, there's no question of the master having gone anywhere. That also is a part of illusion. He seems to have gone because we are still in a dualistic place in this world. We need, you know, because of that, I mean, the master condescends to us, as Kripal used to say, and he extends his little finger so that we can grab it. And it's because we are trapped in this world of duality, that we need that. But once the connection is made, and he has his own ways, as Sanchi says in the story of making that connection, he can do anything he wants. Once that connection is made, uh, the duality is not there anymore. I mean, it still seems to be there to us, but at any moment, we have the option of rising above it. And that's our power, you know, that's the enablement that the Master has given us to enable us to do that. And that's the way the spiritual revolution will come about. And it's ours. We have it. It doesn't go away. It has nothing to do with where the Master's physical body is at a given time. It's within the utmost part of our being, and it is ours. All right, I do want to play last time when I was here in December uh, I began a tape called The Pages of Our Heart, which this is, I want to play, these are the last two talks that Sanchi gave ever in the West. Okay, his farewell talk at St. Bani Ashram on July 27th, 1996, and then the talk the day later at um, Acton, Massachusetts, where he spent the night just before going to the airport. I find these two talks extremely special and the one at Santvani, the one that we are hearing now, 
has, does include many bhajans which Sanchi wanted sung. Some of them are translated, some are not. But they are an integral part of the talk as he gave it and uh, worth listening to. All right, let's uh, hear the tape. He said that I also ask for your name. And then he said that if you will give me all these things, I will be very happy to do your devotion. <laughs> <laughs> ਸਰੂਪ ਤਾਂ ਉਸੇ ਜਗ੍ਹਾ ਖੜਾ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਸਾਕਨ ਹੈ ਲੇਕਿਨ ਸਾਡਾ ਮਨ ਕਦੇ ਆਉਂਦਾ ਹੈ ਕਦੇ ਜਾਂਦਾ ਹੈ ਜਦੋਂ ਅਸੀਂ ਅੰਦਰ ਰੱਖੀ ਕਰਕੇ ਪਾਰ ਬ੍ਰਹਮ ਤੋਂ ਉੱਪਰ ਚਲੇ ਜਾਂਦੇ ਹਾਂ ਫੇਰ ਸਿੱਖ ਕਹਿੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਵੀ ਮੈਥੋਂ ਬਸ ਕੀ ਖੁਨਾਮੀ ਹੋਈ ਸੀਗੀ ਕੀ ਐਬ ਹੋਇਆ ਸੀਗਾ ਤੂੰ ਮੇਰੇ ਕੋਲ ਦੀ ਚੁੱਪ ਕਰਕੇ ਨਾ ਲੈ ਜਾਂਦਾ ਸੀਗਾ ਤੂੰ ਆ ਕੇ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਉਹ ਸਾਰੀਆਂ ਗੱਲਾਂ ਆਪਦੇ ਦਿਲ ਦਾ ਵਰਕਾ ਫੁੱਲ ਕੇ ਦੱਸ ਕੀ ਹੋ ਗਿਆ ਜੇ ਅਸੀਂ ਗੁਨਾਹ ਕੀਤੇ ਹੈ ਕੀ ਤੂੰ ਗੁਨਾਹਾਂ ਨੂੰ ਬਖਸ਼ਣ ਵਾਲਾ ਨਹੀਂ ਜੇ ਅਸੀਂ ਪਹਾੜ ਗੁਨਾਹਾਂ ਦੇ ਇਕੱਠੇ ਨਾ ਕਰਦੇ ਤੂੰ ਆ ਕੇ ਬਖਸ਼ਦਾ ਕੀ ਨਹੀਂ ਦ ਸੇਮ ਇਜ਼ ਦੀ ਮੀਨਿੰਗ ਆਫ ਦ ਭਜਨ ਵਿਚ ਇਟ ਆਂਸਰਡ ਬਾਈ ਪਪੂ ਜਸ ਨਾਓ ਨਾਓ ਵੈਨ ਵੀ ਡੂ ਦ ਮੈਡੀਟੇਸ਼ਨ ਸਮਟਾਈਮਸ ਵੀ ਸੇ ਦੈਟ ਦ ਫਾਰਮ ਆਫ ਦ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਕਮਸ ਐਂਡ ਸਮਟਾਈਮਸ ਹੀ ਗੋਸ ਅਵੇ ਬਟ ਥੈਟ ਇਜ਼ ਨਾਟ ਦ ਰਿਐਲਿਟੀ ਪਲੀਜ਼ ਡੋਨਟ ਯੂਜ਼ ਦ ਫਲੈਸ਼ ਵੈਨ ਯੂ ਆਰ ਟੇਕਿੰਗ ਦ ਪਿਕਚਰ so when we do the meditation we say that sometimes the form of the master has come and sometimes it has gone away but that is not the reality because the form of the master never comes in our goes he is steady he is always there it is only our mind which comes and goes so when we go within when we rise above our body go into the parlor when we go into the inner place then the disciple talks to the master very clearly and he says that what happened <coughs> you come and go through the pages of the heart of my heart and tell me that what crime i have done that you went away from me very quietly what happened if we did all the mistakes what happened if we did all the sins if we had not done all the same sins who would have called you as the merciful one and as the forgiver so come in my heart and go through the pages of my heart and tell me that why you are going away quietly from me Oh Kripal, come and sit with us and go through the pages of our heart. What crime have we done that you go away from us quietly? As long as the breaths flow, we cannot forget you. If you do not believe it, put your hand on our heart and see. I am yours, I was yours, ever since I loved you. Why should I be afraid when I have loved you? I have come to your door with hopes and expectations. It is up to you whether becoming the sound of happiness you give us arms or send us away empty-handed. Try us. I will come swimming across as Sony did, but at least once sit with his head and go through the pages of our heart. Oh, Kirpal, come and sit with us and go through the pages of our heart. आखिर पाल कोल बैठे असानी फूल दिला दे वर के 
page 203, and this is, as I've often pointed out, a vajan in which the whole path is summarized, Kripal Yahi Sandesha Deta. Kripal gave only this message, and even the wind also teaches us this. If you keep walking while doing the Simran, the destination comes to you by itself. Remember, that can also be translated, if you keep walking while remembering God, the destination comes to you by itself. Simran means remembrance, and Master Kripal always defined it as the sweet remembrance of God. The fort of deceit will be destroyed in this world because walls of sand do not last. There are so many sins with you You are a great sinner. Hail the power of Almighty Kripal who carries all the burden. No one is an enemy. No one belongs to anyone else. Everyone is your very own. For as the Gurbani teaches, all this world was created from one light. O Guru Kripal, The negative power trembles, and death also is nervous in front of whoever has caught hold of your finger. Ajayb says, apologize to Kripal if your soul wants happiness. Kripal gave only this message, and even the wind also teaches us this. If you keep walking while doing the Simran, the destination comes to you by itself. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 203. <laughs> 
manjila kuda mila jati he kirpaya hi sandesha deta abaya hi sikalati he Ti he, 
message and even the wind also teaches us this if you keep walking while doing the simran the destination comes to you by itself may god bless us all <laughs> 